oftentimes a child will know how to completely take apart a crab that's been steamed before they know how to hold a pencil correctly. It's in your blood to do that. Although I'm very lazy, just you do it and then ball it up and fry it and give me a crab cake. I don't got time. I'm, I'm, I'm too lazy for that shit. This week's conversation is a little bit shorter than getting bear acquainted normally is. It's going to be around about 45 minutes because this is part one of what will be a two-part getting better acquainted conversation so next week there'll be another hour of content from this conversation and if you're missing out on stuff to listen to this week if you're like my commute is an hour but this only lasts 45 minutes there's plenty more in getting better acquainted's back catalogue for you to catch up on there's so much there that you probably will not have heard all of it even if you're a regular listener i've split this conversation into two parts for a couple of reasons partly because some Sometimes people don't really want to listen to a really long conversation and partly because just for practical reasons it's better for me to have this week's episode and next week's episode edited and ready to go. You can see a conversation in the waveforms. You said like the number of minutes immediately in my head what popped up was that image of the complete waveform and then it's like one set is me and one set is the guest and right. the blocks of the guest being huge and the blocks of me being small right. or vice versa and like knowing immediately what the rhythm of that conversation was. Sometimes in the same waveform because I, I generally record in stereo and so one of us will be in one side of the right. waveform, one of us will be the other side yeah. of the waveform and I'll look at it in advance and I'll be like, oh god who's that one and if it's the, if it's the guest I'm like yes and if it's me I'm like oh no I'm the one who spoke the most hello I'm Dave I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together I need to get better please make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you so today we're getting even better acquainted with Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Hello, oh, Dave. I forgot that there's almost no intro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you're getting better because it would be pointless to introduce yeah, me. Don't say who point. you are because that's what they're going to learn for exactly. the next, next hour. You think I would have remembered that or prepared in some way, shape or form. That's not what we're looking for now in the podcasting zeitgeist. Well, now. I don't know if it's what we're looking for now or not. I think we're looking for different things than we used to look for in podcasting. I'm not sure that people are looking as much for spontaneous, unprepared, uh, two white men talking. Hopefully they're not. I mean, in in, in many ways, even though that's what we're doing now, I don't want that to be the general desire for podcasts. Well, no one's looking for two white men to talk about anything, but we haven't been looking for that. Despite the deluge of it that comes out every day, we haven't been looking for it for quite yeah, some time. Yeah, you haven't had to look for it. It's been everywhere. Yeah, you it's just in, find it. It's in our every yeah, every moment of every day. There's more instances of white men talking than there are bins in the public space in London. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, yeah, it's interesting listening back to... Because this is what I did on the way to walk to have this conversation with you yeah. today. I listened back to our first conversation. And uh, we talked about so many things and none of them were things that I before I before I had that conversation mm-hmm. with you I was intending to talk to you about right I, I didn't know much about you right um, I, I tried to google you I referred to this in the first conversation yeah. I tried to google you but you are a hard man to google yep, on purpose deliberately and we talked about that at length so I didn't know very much about you but I did know one kind of element 
of your life, but we just didn't actually talk about right. that, I don't think. Well, that's um, kind of the beauty, cool, wasn't it? Yeah. Which is cool. Um, so I, I at least know one thing we'll talk about today, although... That said, I haven't really seen you many more times. I think I've seen you one more time, actually. I think I saw you at a Smut Slam. Yeah, um, maybe between, once or once Maybe more another time. There, somewhere in that range. A couple of times. Yeah. Um, we exist in the online space together. Exactly. And so I, I know you well, because we had quite a long conversation first time around, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know you that much better. So I will be in the same position exactly. as the audience. You get to like, learn more and more every yeah. time. Well, normally when a guest comes on a second time, I know them in a different way than the first time I knew them. So in a way, it's unusual for a second guest for me to still be still be fully getting to know who you are. But that's kind of better for the for the structure, for the concept of the show. It hits the concept better. So yeah, fair enough. So you don't even have to make friends outside of this. You could honestly just keep a stable of like, uh, how often does this show come out again? It's every weekly. weekly. So you keep so a stable, stable. <laughs> a nice stable of like fifty to eighty people that you just sort of keep coming back. They just you just swing right. back into. Do I only orbit. talk to on my right? Right. Some of them are Mars, and you see them like every year on the clock. And then some of them are Pluto, and they've got kind of a weird <laughs> orbit. And you know, just you run into them when you run into them. Right. That's a, that's a nice idea. So the first question I ask everybody well, is, how do you know me? So how would you answer it this time? Yeah, gosh. Um, I don't want to say how we met, because that would be what I would have said last time. So I know you... How do I know you? I know you as this uh, persistent entity (laughs) that I frequently will return and think, maybe I should ask Dave about that. For whatever, every once in a while, probably every other month or so, (laughs) someone comes up and I go... Dave would have an answer for this if I maybe it's podcast related or it's about booking live gigs or we like you said we did, did a was it a smut slam or whatever that's right yeah. that's, I mean I was hosted a, a live storytelling night about sex and you came along and told a story um, which actually changed in some ways my perception of you which was good yeah you did you did learn at least one new thing about me in that instance here's actually how I know you ready this is this is the exactly what I'm trying to, to articulate. Dave is the, every week on Facebook, is is a reminder that you're hosting or attending an event near me <laughs> that I want to go to, but am always perpetually disappointed that I can't make it because right. of another obligation or God, or it happens to be just like way up in Hackney or something, and I'm like, right. oh, that's literally the other side of the city. and Right. <laughs> How much? How, how much do I want to travel ninety minutes for right. for a, a, a live storytelling event? I mean, I have big sympathy with that. Uh, my Facebook experience is quite a lot of like seeing loads and loads of events that I also am not going to go to, yeah. but that I'd like to go to. Um, that I say interested in to yes. all of them because uh, I am. It's not untrue, but right. I also know that I'm probably not going to go for a number of reasons. One of which is that I'm not that keen on going out and being social quite often. Um, but and yeah, I feel very guilty in that I am always bothering other people to go to my gigs, but I never go to theirs. So yeah. you know, you don't have to worry about uh, coming or not going to my gigs. But right. you, you have, in, as we mentioned, yeah. come, come to a gig, yeah. uh, which is you know does is better than most of my friends. <laughs> Remind me when we talked last time. I remember we talked a lot about white dudes. Yeah, and and and. Toxic masculinity we did, we and did. that sort of thing. Yeah. 
Because there is, because you did, because at the Smut Slam, the big the thing that you probably didn't know before I walked in was that I identify as queer. Uh-huh. Did I identify as straight on the podcast last time? I'm not sure. Right. I don't think we literally said this is a conversation between yeah. two straight white men. Right. But we did say cis but, men or cis white men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But certainly I was comfortable with taking up space more yeah. than I in theory would be now because right. you you have a you, you you know you you're now a queer person who I might talk over mm-hmm. whereas before it's like here's a, an american white man i can yeah. just talk yeah, it doesn't yeah, matter yeah. if he gets a, a word in edgeways i've not done anything bad which is fascinating because you you know I, I hate to return to that to that exact conversation but it was a thing i had uh, with a group of coworkers where I had said before a meeting, like, I want this meeting to go quickly, you want this meeting to go quickly, so I'm going to talk over everyone. And then there's the, the one woman, and I was like, except for you, because I feel <laughs> like it's been a couple of thousand years of white guys talking specifically over women, so, yeah. like, whatever you want to say, I'm not going to interrupt. But the rest of y'all, like, let's get this rolling. I don't, we don't got time for this shit. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, that is something I do think about on, like, doing the show. You know, it, it can never pass the Bechdel test because it's always going to have me in it. Right. Um, but, but uh, you know, apart from that, like, which ones do I talk more in? And some conversations I talk more in than others. Um, and... I think, you know, I think I can think of one moment I was kind of called out by somebody of talking too much with uh, my guest. But at the same time, I also got a compliment on that conversation, right. you know, two, two, you know, two days before from a feminist woman who hadn't noticed me talking over people. Right. And I think it was because I was talking about rape. I was talking about being raped with somebody who had also been raped. Um, who happened to be a woman and I'm a man and I mm-hmm. wasn't really thinking about who's getting the most uh, the most airtime right. on our on our on our experiences and so it is interesting it's interesting then to be called out by a man who was I think calling me out on behalf of a woman I right. mean it's also complicated which is what we, we we do it we do do it, it, it when you want to be it's uh, my friend Micah says um, stay woke but don't overdose on no-dos uh, which is a, if, I think it's only in America. Caffeine pills is it's what you take when you're studying. You pop a bunch of no-nos. Right. Is that a lot of people we are in our attempts to reverse some of the the privilege and everything that we have. We're like we're going almost too far. Like we're speak we start we start speaking over someone to speak up for them. Right. 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 <laughs> which is like uh, well you know it, better. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Yeah, no, you're right. And it, 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 well, things are very layered because you know, gender is one way we can understand things. Right. Like race is another, but there's all sorts of different things. And sometimes it's it's two people talking, and and actually something that people don't necessarily know about these conversations because they're not there in the room, and people think, oh, because I'm hearing it, I'm having the full experience. Right. Is that sometimes some people need to have a lot of somebody else talking right. in order for them to feel that they can talk actually it's it's more complicated on an interpersonal level oh. some people are quiet some people don't talk yeah. you know there's all sorts of things where sometimes I'm trying to draw that out and it might sound like I'm talking over somebody um, but and sometimes I am talking over people yeah. like it's not simple you're not going to be able to know which ones are which like that's the worst <laughs> for me though is when someone is silent on the other end of a conversation I went on a date a couple of weeks ago and everything was fine except for this guy just wouldn't let out more than one, one and a half sentences at a time. And it was just like, it's just like, listen, I can talk. Don't worry. I can fill an empty space. <laughs> I do it all the time. I do it professionally. 
it's not a problem. In fact, I won a prize for telling the story. <laughs> right, at SmartSlam. Uh, at SmartSlam. But, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, it's also it is what I do a lot at work. Right. And so it's like, can we just have a two-way conversation instead of me monologuing yeah. again for the for the seventh hour of today? Like, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what, but then it's hard to know what necessarily the other person's experience is in that moment as right. well. Like as somebody who has a, a partner who very strongly identifies as an introvert and who, like, is quieter um, and, and thoughtful and likes to take her... T- sort of likes to take her time quite often she will, will not like kind of me or other people who are thinking about gender thrusting her into the limelight right. in a way that she doesn't want to when she wants to actually think about it in a different way and and some people don't like talking some yeah. people exist very happily within a non kind of yeah. you know n- not particularly social yeah. world and that's fine you're unlikely to become my friend if you yeah. are if that is they're not the just, people you yeah, want to date we're just not yeah we're not gonna we're not gonna cross over it and on an interpersonal level it's frustrating and yeah. i have that too like i hate it when people yeah won't won't give anything away because i i just think they're judging me all the time my main <laughs> okay problem. yeah that's like, a, but that's a i assume i'm neuroses I'm, yeah, yeah exactly i'm assume i'm being terrible in some way and it's my fault um, if uh, if someone's just quiet, which is which, a, which takes too, to that, yeah. it's an interesting comment <laughs> that someone said that you were talking too much on your podcast because I would think that part of the so the function of the podcast is that you get to know people better, but at the same token, and then by extension, the audience gets to know those people. Yeah. But there's also the persistent journey for the audience of getting to know me, you. Yeah. That's so it sort of becomes right. a like. Can you, as a podcast host, talk too much? Particularly when this is your format. If you were doing, and in any interview format, the personality of the host is essential to the functionality. I think I, I maybe I can't talk too much, but there are ways of talking over people that right. like, aren't helpful. And definitely, like in the editing room, I frequently, you know, finesse a little bit because I get because you know all of these episodes are edited. Uh, for people just to you know fully put that out there because sometimes people assume they're not which is a compliment in its own way oh. but but you know sometimes I will cut off the bit where I cut someone off so it will sound better and also equally I'll I'll cut off the bit where somebody else cut me off right because it's frustrating to a listener to have an avenue that was not explored that should have been explored yeah and if they don't need to know about that then fine they won't be frustrated and they'll listen to the next bit um, as avidly and so you know in some ways I, I I cover up sometimes when I talk over people, but not always. It's not always possible, right. and it's not always desirable. I don't want to always look like um, I'm not flawed. I want people to know about my flaws, and one of my flaws is I get excited about ideas, and I don't always listen in those moments of excitement. Yeah, and by the way, that's why shows which are recorded over Skype, which is why it's good that you try to do this in person as often as possible. I really try, yeah. It's the nightmare to edit those things for that exact, like, that talking over experience is inherent in the distance. Uh, what do you call it? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Display? No, it's not a word. Whatever. People who are in the same room talking and right. recording it. Right. You always do that because the, all of the social cues and the body language that you and I can pick up right now. Right now, right. for those of the listener, 
Dave is looking deeply into my <laughs> eyes. He's making direct eye contact. Right. Right. His hands are sort of at a rest, where whereas mine are moving about a little bit more because I'm I'm making a point of gesturing. Yeah. And it's clear that there's listening. And then if there's a moment where he's going to say something, you can see the glint in his eyes that he has a thing to say. Right. And all that shit gets lost because it's a co-creation. Yeah. And when we're having conversations that aren't recorded, we're not counting the amount of. Uh, minutes that one person speaks and another person speaks that's not how we have conversation and we don't come away from a conversation where we spoke less uh, feeling like we had less of a conversation right. in the moment but ironically if you listen back it might sound like like that's this, this perception and experience and all of these things yeah. you know it's very rare my guests come away thinking I've talked too much partly because most guests at the end of a conversation say I'm sorry I spoke so much <laughs> which is strange because that's what they're here to do but I understand Understand it. It's a cultural thing. It's a, and it's also a, we don't like to look at ourselves, and uh, we think our own stories aren't interesting because we know them all. Right. Oh, I have several stories I know are interesting, but uh. <laughs> well, yeah. When I say we, that yeah, we, is yeah, a universalization, yeah, yeah. which is unhelpful. Plenty of people think their stories are interesting, but it, but it's complicated. It, often I feel like people who think they're stories are uninteresting are the ones with the most interesting stories right um, you know I'm going to say that at least because it's too it's too unfair to say that people who think they've got interesting stories don't have interesting stories because I know loads of people who are equally as interested in themselves uh, in a way that's annoying but at the same time do have super interesting stories and they're not wrong <laughs> and what's interesting to me what I've been thinking about in this space in the podcast space is that is the layers of of conversation that we are that are that are occurring right now, right? Because there is the conversation in the room. There's a conversation in we'll say the editing bay, but we mean the uh, the dock, the the digital right that, and then the the conversation that's being had in the player of who in the headphones or right. whatever of the right. person who's listening to this right now. It's really interesting to think about that because what probably the listeners don't know is that when you take this. And you put it into uh, any kind of an audio editing suite. There's this look when the wa- when the waveforms come together and they populate. That you, if you spend enough time, and I spent 325 episodes of Podcast Squared or something like that, right. editing. You spend enough of that time, you can see a conversation in the waveforms. Like, the, you said, like, the number of minutes, and, all, and immediately in my head what popped up was that image of the complete waveform, and then it's, like, one set is me and one set is the guest, and right. the blocks of the guest being huge and the blocks of me being small, right. or vice versa, and, like, knowing immediately what the the rhythm of that conversation was sometimes in the same waveform because i I generally record in stereo and so one of us will be in one side of the waveform one of us will be the other side of the waveform and i'll look at it in advance and i'll be like oh god who's that one and if it's if it's the guest i'm like yes and if it's me i'm like oh no i'm the one who spoke the most and it's a weird thing to have that and have, have that feedback loop like i've been doing this since 2011 so i've been aware of my voice in ways that I never would have been oh, since no. 2011 and so I've gone backwards and forwards in my yeah. opinion on things and you know I think now I leave a lot more ums in and stuff like that as an editor definitely um, but also as a you know I, I felt more ashamed of my talking over and less ashamed and I've, I think I'm coming to some kind of 
equilibrium. I talk different. I mean, when I started, I had an, a, a much more London accent than I have now. But right. now I have. Well, I think this is going to be my accent now because I've. I've used it so much in performance and and uh, recording that this is how I speak now, and so yeah. this probably will stay with me when I move to Lancaster, where I'm going next, and stuff. But when I, but like my accents changed since I started. I'm more sure every time I speak a word, I'm much more sure of it than when I started doing this. It's, I mean, it, it is interesting because it was a similar experience I had when I did radio uh, before I did podcasting. Mm-hmm. So I did radio from '04 to '09. Right. And uh, there's this great weird song called um, "Good Old Boys" by Don Williams. Everybody, Google it. The chorus is like I, you know, I can still hear the, the feel of the breeze in the soft southern, whatever. I forget the chorus because all that matters is the third verse is one of the most relatable verses I've ever heard in a country and western song about a guy who grew up in a small town, was smarter than everyone else, knew that he was bigger than the town that he was in, like it wasn't going to have the opportunities for him, watched his friends, several of them, kill themselves on drugs and alcohol, and then he, the line that kills me every time is, learn to talk like the man on the six o'clock news, which was a great thing that I did when I did radio, when I was 18, because I come from the, the south. Come right. from the United, the southern United States. Like folks back home don't talk like I do. You know, they yeah. talk like they almost sound like Forrest Gump sometimes. Like right. it's it's a very distinct accent we have in the Tidewater. Even when I say water, I don't say I don't. Right. You know, you know, you can't quite. Well, you can get rid of all of it, but I I've chosen not to. In fact, actually, since I moved to London, I'm sound more like I did back home than I did when I lived in D.C. Right. doing radio. Something about hearing your voice, though is a big part of why I know I personally was like, I need to correct, even though it doesn't need to be corrected, but I needed to correct it because there was something about it that sounded right, I guess, or sounded like it fit in better. I don't know if you had the same experience with you getting to this accent. I don't know. I mean, I have had lots of different accents because I didn't stay anywhere long enough when I was growing up. Yeah. And the UK has a lot of accents in it, but somewhere so small, it it's really too many. packs them in. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was moving between Wales and England as well, so I had different kinds of accents that marked me out as different wherever I was. Um, which was fun. Again, very small geographic difference, but the Welsh hate the English and the English hate the Welsh in certain ways. I mean, you know, not all everybody, right. blah, blah, blah. There's legitimate political, historical reasons for this anger with each other, but it was not nice to be the on both sides of that experiment. Like, at, least, at least I experienced uh, English people assuming I was... Well, they didn't re- recognise Welsh accents. They no. thought, thought I was Scottish or Irish when I got to... Always forgetting England. about Wales. But at least I had it both ways having an English accent in Cardiff wasn't good so I quickly no. got a Cardiff accent and then I lost that when I went went to university I think yeah. in the north and I had a bit of a northern thing going on then I came to London and I was working in libraries when I started this podcast so I was working every day with diverse communities from north London so right. I, that had come into my accent yeah I did meet a Welshman once I asked him because he had a very very proper RP accent and uh, I was like oh are you from the home counties he's like nah I'm from like northwestern Wales I was like what he goes yeah I'm a secret Welshman like he had on purpose after moving to London very 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 hard got to that got to that RP so that no one would 
actors in general yeah. that's often the case yeah. like most of like the most famous people that they think of as English actors are often yeah. like Irish or yeah. Welsh you know but they've they've learned to speak RP English yeah. Oscar Wilde you know would have would have had an Irish accent before he went to o- Oxford right. and that's where he decided to level up into yeah. the aristocracy what's fascinating about with in the states because i work in universities the accent that my that i where i come from part of the reason i dropped it is because it reads as stupid like right. you, you sound like a country bumpkin and, and that that's sort of the difference between you and someone who is equally as qualified right but here my american accent garners me advantages and having it be more country because I'm sort of known for people assume that I will get something done or that a meeting will be more definitive because <laughs> I was in said meeting because right, I right. come because I come at everyone yeah, no nonsense this, American yeah like nah we're getting this shit done we're doing right, blah, right, blah, right. blah 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 no matters just gets, exactly. gets straight into it. All of the, yeah, so like I end up getting like sort of invited to meetings that like I'm not, I don't necessarily need to be at said meeting because it's sort of a, well, get the American in here and we'll get some shit done and this meeting will wrap up in like a reasonable amount of time. So it's interesting to see how it's, uh, how it's read. Really. Yeah, yeah, how it reads completely different. And, and the funny thing is that yeah, there's another American in the department and it's the it, same thing. And now we're sort of splitting the duties yeah. of being the American. I mean, did you consciously change your accent? Yeah. No, cleaned it so up. you did it. I, you know, and it wasn't, I didn't have like a thick, but there was definitely just, you know, um, the, the way we would, we would, we would say, uh, we call it the Atlantic Ocean. That's how we would say the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, sure. I, mean, <laughs> um, I can still understand you can, the words you're saying yeah. when you're saying them in a southern accent. Yeah, and that's and even that's a tidewater accent. You wouldn't catch that in like South Carolina or something. Sure. You really only find that in Baltimore, which is Baltimore, but uh, or in the Eastern Shore of Maryland or in Delaware or Philadelphia, this specific region, which is all made up of folks from um, York fucked off to the Americas and then took your the weird York accent and then mixed it together with like uh, I forget what the other part of it Dutch or something like that all these things sort of came together right. and it made our weird accent right. that that only exists in that part of the United States it's still quite a big geographical area yeah oh no I mean, I mean there's two there's two huge cities Baltimore and Philadelphia yeah. I mean Philadelphia's like a little over a million people Baltimore's a little um, under a million they're not accents that I haven't heard and I think yeah. you know may, maybe it's more likely that people from the UK certainly if they watch a lot of TV or whatever have heard quite a variety of American yeah. accents if you've seen The Wire Dominic, right. Dominic West by season 2 puts on a pretty good version of it right uh, what's fa- what is, you're, it is fascinating here though that like Devon and Somerset will sound completely different right and you're like there's like four people between right. your two counties. Sure. How is this possible? Yeah. <laughs> like nobody lives out there. Because what's the population here? Like sixty million? 80? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's happened. Like, but there is a real variety of accents. I mean, I love it yeah. in, in some ways. Like, it's one of my favorite. I don't have very many things I like specifically about my country. Some of them, like, I, lo- I like the countryside, but that's a different kettle right. of fish than liking the country as a... Well, I'm not very keen on, like, nations and states and stuff like that, but, yeah, I, I, I like the fact that there's so much variety in the way people speak. That is beautiful. 
like and it's it you know in terms of like Scotland has a massive variety in accents oh my God. right like and that's again a, sm- a smaller place and Wales itself like North Wales and South Wales they're really different accents Cardiff's a very specific accent that's only really mm. uh, relevant to the city which does see and that makes a lot of sense to me you would think that it just because it's a city there's going to be a greater variety diversity mix of people so like different accents sort of will come together in a melting pot even in Cardiff which isn't a huge city but it's the biggest city yeah. in Wales and it's definitely a melting pot yeah. uh, in terms of compared to a lot of other yeah. parts of Wales and why Glasgow and Edinburgh have different accents makes so much sense because here we have two very different cities even though yeah. they're like an hour train ride right, right, from right. one another maybe yeah Oh, that's a difference between now and two years ago when I moved to this country. I said our train ride. But you could, you could <laughs> even have it, like, even within London. Yeah. Like, there are massively different accents in right. different parts of London. Yeah. Like, people, I mean, even within Cardiff, actually, Luna, there was the posh Cardiff accent yeah. and there was the not posh Cardiff right. accent. Right. I mean, someone from Peckham is going to sound a lot different than someone from Kensington. Right. Right, right, right. Exactly. I mean, you might have people who literally live next door to each other yeah. with incredibly different accents and lives. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the beautiful... And uh, yeah, generally it's beautiful, but it's still it also painfully kind of yeah painful uh, elements of London. London, because yeah, I get that because London is. People always say to me, "I've been to America." English people say, "I've been to America," and I go, "Oh, where where did you go to America?" And they're like, "New York." And I'm like, "Okay, you didn't go to America. You went to New York City. That's that is its own entity." Right. And London feels like that to a little bit of a lesser extent but definitely this city is wild there's something there's a there's an energy here there's a vibe here there's a diversity here that doesn't exist in the rest of the country and if it does it's still not to the extent yeah but then because of a legacy of imperialism nationalism and if we're being very honest in a way that no museum in this city can ever fucking be honest white supremacy in English history it also feels like that diversity is a ticking time bomb to me like I'm always worried when I talk to older like coming here to Shoreditch for example we're in Shoreditch for people who don't want who don't know that yeah right secret location yeah secret location literally says that on the door um but when I said something about it this weekend to, like, an older guy. He made some comment about shortage being what we would just call, like, a, a sort of a ghetto. Like, this garbage neighborhood. And I was like, shortage? I wouldn't for a second think of shortage as being a poor neighborhood or but a dangerous how, that's neighborhood. That's how quick gentrification And that is how quick a gentrification happens, of course. Yeah, this guy, he probably hasn't been in East London in 20 years, so Indeed. he doesn't know shit about anything. But... They'll say things about, but people will say things about Peckham, or they'll say things about uh, any of these neighborhoods, and their code for that's where the blacks or the Muslims live. And it makes me worry that even though there is all this diversity, too much of definitely the power structure, but to me, the people who don't live. In that diversity, yeah. Even the people who you know, I, I who live in the neighborhood next to me, which is significantly less diverse than the neighborhood I live in, I feel like they sort of think it's this horde at the gates that they're holding back of the darkies that are over there. And it, sure, it, I don't know. It, yeah, no, absolutely. It's complicated. Like 
often people in London, misinformed, incorrect people in London will say things like London's not racist, which is not true. Right. Um, but they, what they mean is it's not the same kind of racist as right. other parts of the country. But in, in some ways, that kind of gives us less excuse, so much less excuse in right. London uh, when people still have these kind of blinkered, ignorant views when they have all of the access and, uh, and exposure to people. Like a lot of the time, racism in the UK is people who never see any form of diversity, right. who are f- afraid. Right. Um, whereas if you actually live within this diverse city and you haven't seen how bullshit the, the rules you've been given by society are, then, you know, I, I can't help you. Like, you're, 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 it's, right. it's kind of, I sometimes feel like that about modern day you know people who have access to the internet like it's it means that there's so much less excuse for not finding out the answers but, or at least I used to think that right. before the internet went to kind of as terrible when, a place when we were as children. the actual world yeah I mean now now I get it like everything's fake and everything's trying to sell you and everything's right. scamming you and I get it the internet is a hellscape and we can't understand anything through it but it definitely it's hard to understand why people in London can't can't look at their own assumptions and the right. things that they're being told. But anyway, where we where where do where do you come from? Do you come from country or do you come from city? Right. So I come from the middle of nowhere, right. Maryland's eastern shore. So uh, the great thing about the state of Maryland, the United States, is it's shaped like a gun, uh, which helps you explain all the parts of it. And what's great is actually we have fairly fairly strict gun laws. Not the strictest in the United States, but we're actually our neighbors are horrible. Right. Which means that the guns just come in no matter what you do. But um, there are four regions to Maryland, which is not a huge state, like five, six million people. So, uh, but uh, in the west, the barrel is the mountains, where there's a couple of ski resorts and a couple of abandoned mines and an old rail B&O. The, original, the first uh, rail line to run through America like went through the Cumberland region. And you can go see a lot of sad, broken-down towns out there. Central Maryland, which is Baltimore and D.C., that's it. Everything in between is suburbs. There's, there's no authenticity to be found. It's just shopping malls and, and manufactured housing that's meant to sell this picket fence, you know, two-and-a-half-kids, American dream bullshit. Southern Maryland, which is original Maryland, where it was first founded, has nothing of note other than St. Mary's City. And then there's the Chesapeake Bay, which is a huge body of water. It's the fourth largest body of water in the U.S. after the Atlantic, the Pacific, Lake Superior, Chesapeake Bay. And then there's the Eastern Shore, which is wedged between a bay and the ocean. And so it's just everything is about the water. Everything is about the water. And then uh, the farms that are sort of quote-unquote upland, which would be like, I don't know, <laughs> a couple of miles away. <laughs> like in the center, there's sort of this strip of cornfields and chicken farms. So yeah, that's where I'm from. And we basically, 10 months out of the year, 9 months out of the year, I guess, it's just a mostly empty space where there's farms and everything feels like it's just a little bit too far away to get to. And then for about two to three months out of the year, it's just an unending sea of shitty tourists going through our towns, getting to the beach. 
Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Wow. I mean, a, a very good vantage point to understand late capitalism or oh, ne- yeah. neoliberalism or whatever we want to call the problem. We or one of the problems hate the summertime back home. I mean, we also love it because it's at the same time it's when all of the best food becomes available because <laughs> oysters and crabs sort right, of pop right, in, and that's those are our. I mean, the Chesapeake Baby Blue crab is unique to our region and it's if you grow up i mean you know oftentimes a child will know how to completely take apart a crab that's been steamed before they know how to hold a pencil correctly like it's it's in your blood to do that uh although i'm very lazy just you do it and then ball it up and fry (laughs) it give me a crab cake i don't got time I'm, i'm i'm too lazy for that shit um but it's such a maddening experience to live because you're living one way the whole year. There's one highway. It's not. It wouldn't even be an M. It would be an A road. It, we, you, there are stoplights and shit. It's not the expressway. There's one highway, and all year long, your life operates one way, and then it's rudely inter- interrupted for Memorial Day weekend, and that doesn't stop until. Labor Day weekend in September, and it's just, you know, all the all the chaos just comes out of out of these people who. There's a great song by um, Taco Cat for those of you, which by the way, Taco Cat spelled backwards, Taco Cat. That's why that's the name of that band. Called "I Hate the Weekend," and it's one of the. It's a song I found maybe six months ago, and I love it because it so encapsulates that bitterness that I have for tourists who come on the weekend it's their two day pass to act like an asshole to trash the beach to destroy the boardwalk to you know to get just absolutely insanely inhumanely hammered on any drugs or alcohol they can get their hand on to shit on us as country folk and complain oh you're fucking cops you know your cops are like they're fascists and like no there's just so many of you actually that they just can find reasons to book someone. It, tur- it turns out most of the year, they have nothing to do. It just happens to be that when you're in town, there's plenty of drugs for them to have to confiscate. Like, they're just as fascistic as the ones on the other side of the bay, it right. turns out. So it's, a, it was a, so it's very interesting to have that They just experience. have less opportunities to be fascistic. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> most of the year, there's just nothing for them to do. They're just going right. to pull a gun on me. For uh, for a traffic violation, right? Which is a, which is a great moment. Growing up, it gave me a weird perception of things because I wanted the urban experience because it's what I don't have, right? Right. No matter where you're from, the grass is always greener. If you grew up in the city, you're kind of interested in going to the country. If you grew yeah, up in the country, yeah. you want to go to the city. Yeah. Um, but then getting that taste of just a mass of humanity around you all the time was really off-putting. It sort of took me yeah. it took me a long time <laughs> to actually go live in the middle of a city right. for that exact reason. I always right. just stayed on the periphery because it was just like, wow, there's just so many people. 
Yeah. And they're... I mean, I find that living in London, I mean, it's one of the things that I'm not going to miss. Yeah. Is that... Although it's something that gives you stuff as well as takes it away. And I kind of love it now. I mean, I guess easing into it, and maybe it's just the point in my life where I'm at right now. Yeah. You can kind of be more anonymous in it. You know, it feels like it's going to completely overwhelm you, but actually once you find your balance within it, you're less visible in some ways than you are in, you know, smaller places, in smaller communities. Everyone's talking twitching curtains all of that stuff it's a, it's actually yeah I mean as someone who's lived in both kinds of places but yeah yeah it's very interesting I do need to get out to the country at some point in time just to take a break right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean I mean that's why that's why people have summer rich people have summer houses right, right. it's to just whew, let's get out of here and go uh, right escape the heat and the chaos of just I mean humanity I mean to think that like in the immediate area of where I live, I mean, probably, because there's some block flats not too far away, within a square mile, if you will, of my house now is more people than lived in my home county, which is the same geographic size as London. Right. (laughs) Right, right. Like, right. <laughs> it's a, it's just like, if you were like yeah. Google Maps, you know, it would just be like zooming into a block versus looking at like an entire country. It's such a radically, radically different experience right. for the first 18 years versus now. Yeah. I mean, was the, what was the first city that you went to? We went College Park, Maryland, because it's where I went to university. Right. And so that's like a city of... So my hometown is 11,000 people. That's one in three people who live in the county live in my hometown. Uh, again, a, a county the size of London. Right, right. 33,000 people or something like that. Most of which is like a wildlife refuge anyway. Um, and then College Park was about 70,000, 80,000. But it's situated right outside D.C., Washington, D.C. And there's a metro line so it's like a tube station right there right goes straight to the center of town it's dc you you can hit a bunch of great neighborhoods along the green line no problem on your way to dc so that was sort of a that felt like a good climb up or right. the run you know? easing yourself in. yeah yeah let's get to like a, a serious city i think seventy thousand is like you're definitely in the city yeah but it's also Easy access to the nation's capital and all the buzz of, of, of Washington, D.C. And then Rockville, which is another city outside of D.C., which no one can actually give me a clear number on how many people live in Rockville because it's got some just... The way it's incorporated is very strange, so, like, different data points. It seems to be about a double the size, like 150 or so. Like, it has a cohesive town center and all the sorts of things you expect to see in an actual city as opposed to College Park which is a university and then the shit that spills out of the university a university town yeah yeah yeah. oh my god although I loved having that particular university now that I have you know am working at King's College London and this urban uh, university experience is very strange because of course with the urban university there's no cohesive campus. Like, yeah, sure, the Strand campus and the Waterloo campus kind of are both sides of the Thames, and there's a certain amount of yeah. 
cohesion there. But then, you know, the Denmark Hill campus is all the fuck way down in there, and there's a the guy's campus is over by London Bridge Station, and, you know, there's all this far-flung thing. Whereas the University of Maryland is this big, giant, it owns half of the city of College Park land-wise. It's this huge thing, and campus is campus, period. Yeah, there's satellite buildings, but it's this cohesive, you know, it has the quad where you can play ultimate frisbee, and it's got the mall that's, you know, got the big fountain, there's the yeah. library at the top of it. That experience was a great transition. Right, right, right. And incidentally, that's that's the answer to the second question that I ask everybody is what what do you do now? You've just you yeah. just mentioned you work in a university, right? So like, we've we've ticked that box. Yes. for anybody that was yeah, if they needed, feeling it needed to be. Ticked. I work in archives. If you want to know exactly the kind of work that I do, right, preserving history, right. Right, and like so, in the, in our first conversation, we talked quite a lot about history. Um, one thing we didn't really talk about, which is really absurd, because it is the only way that I kind of we we mentioned it. We mentioned that we're in a a group, like a po- we met through a podcast group mm-hmm. on Facebook. Um, but I never actually talked to you about your history of making podcasts. Right. So that was part one of this two-parter. It's a good introduction to who Andrew is and our relationship and the way that we talk with each other. Next week, you should expect an actual conversation about how Andrew and the work that he's done in podcasting features within the history of podcasting. And also we get into other areas because we're both very tangential and we go off on tangents. And next week's episode will be around about an hour. So the normal episode length of getting better acquainted. In fact, a little bit shorter than the normal episode length, which is probably generally around about an hour and 15 minutes. And since recording this conversation, I have, in fact, moved out of London. I'm now living in Lancaster. If you're interested in hearing about masculinity and what patriarchy does to men and to all people, if you go to the Unbound website, and there'll be a link to this in the show notes, you can find Mansplaining Masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book. Unbound is a kind of cross between a public company and a crowdfunding company which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books they can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering you can find all of that stuff over on mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk if you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship check out my essay series down to a sunless sea memories of my dad as well as making getting better acquainted i also co-produce and i guess star in the magical realist audio drama podcast the family tree in order to keep making it and to make it as good as we want it to be we need your help so if you can afford to then please do consider signing up to our patreon appeal you can find getting better acquainted on twitter at gba podcast you can find it on facebook at getting better acquainted and you can find it anywhere that podcasts go to hang out with each other on the internet and if you want to email me personally that's gba podcast at gmail.com or i'm 
GooseFat101 on Twitter. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.